Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where I bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition so you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all aspects of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. Welcome back to another week and another episode of That Rooted Feeling. I'm your host, Dr. Brooke Stubbs, a board-certified physician in internal and lifestyle medicine with a master's degree in nutrition. And I'm here on this podcast to give you the information to help you form the lifestyle factors that will help you optimize your health and give you that deep sense of well-being that I achieved when I changed my lifestyle. And It is so profound and there is nothing like it in the world. And so once you get there, you want to tell everyone about it and you never want to go back. So that is what I'm doing. I feel like we lose a lot of guidance to industry and marketing in the prime of our lives when we can really be using this time to really take advantage of our health and promote our health long term. Today, I'm going to talk to you about gluten intolerance disorders. So first of all, before we get started, I just want to say, if you think you might be suffering from a gluten sensitivity, a gluten allergy, a gluten um, disease like celiac disease, please, 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 please go and talk to a medical provider. These are very nuanced disorders and they need clinical evaluation by a professional. This is not medical advice. This is just meant to be educational, as always. So go and see a provider to get a clear evaluation. When we talk about gluten intolerance disorders, there's really three different things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about celiac disease in depth today, and it really will just skim the surface of what there is to know about celiac disease. Then we're going to talk about a milder form of intolerance called gluten sensitivity. And then we're also going to talk about wheat allergy, which is a little bit different. So I just want you to be aware that we're going to hit three general topics. When we talk about celiac disease, we're going to give just the overview of a classical celiac type disease. There are a lot of different types of celiac disease. Some that get their diagnosis not in the same way, some that have different clinical manifestations, but that is for specific people to talk to their provider. So celiac disease is an autoimmune condition, and it affects about 1% of the population. So it's one of the more common autoimmune conditions. However, it isn't that common in terms of the population. So you're going to see a lot of people talk about gluten sensitivity, and that's what they have. It's not celiac disease. Celiac disease is very specific. So it has intestinal inflammation, but the markers of that inflammation are very specific on histology, and that's the flattening of the villi or the little finger-like projections in the intestine. So they call that atrophy when those finger-like projections are no longer there. And that can be seen when they take a biopsy of the small intestine. And what happens is this inflammation or this response to gluten increases the innate immune response in the body. 
and there has to be other factors for the diagnosis. So a hallmark of this is that the tissue transglutaminase is the antigen target of the immune system. So this is in your small intestines. It's also in other organs, but for the topic of this conversation, it's important to know that that antigen is in your small intestine. And so that becomes the target. And the reason your immune system starts to target that is a cascade of triggers. And we don't really understand the exact trigger or if there is just one trigger. It could be multifactorial. So there's theories that viral triggers can cause the development of celiac disease, maybe even dysbiosis in the gut. There may be other things that contribute. But that is that tissue transglutaminase is the target. And there's several different antibodies that actually target that antigen. Also, you have to have the genetic component to get celiac disease. So there's an HLA positive gene that you should have, but if you have that positive gene, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get celiac disease. There are also about 100 non-HLA genes that are associated with celiac disease. And these genes, having it, one of these genes is an absolute mandatory requirement in order to develop celiac disease. So again, you need a gene, you need the autoantigen uh, component, like the, uh, the antibodies that attack the, that tissue transglutaminase, and then you have to have the hallmarks on histology. You also, in order to develop it, had to have gotten a trigger, which doesn't have to be identified. And the prevalence of celiac disease is increasing. And the reasons for this are not exactly clear, but there's several studies, or it's probably a combination of multiple of these things. But there's alterations in our wheat, product, wheat products in the U.S., right? So we have a lot of genetically modified wheat products, and then they become ultra-processed. We have people who go on these extreme diets, right? So there's, there's that uh, component of maybe having too much wheat in your diet. Another component is that maybe we just have more access to better serologic testing, and so we are identifying more of these diseases. And then exposure to certain environmental factors that could trigger this may be going up. There is a hypothesis, the hygiene hypothesis, that maybe we're not as exposed to beneficial microorganisms because we have too good of hygiene that could be part of the trigger. And also less gut biodiversity leading to dysbiosis, and that also leads to a loss of intestinal, intestinal barrier function. So all of these things could be playing in a role in the increased prevalence of celiac disease. So it's really important to know that celiac disease is the intolerance of gluten that causes the autoimmune condition. And gluten is an alcohol-soluble protein, which is present in various cereal grains, including wheat, which we know. And there's different kinds of wheat that carry gluten. So durum wheat, einkorn wheat, emmer wheat, kamut, spelt, 
And then there's rye and barley, which aren't wheat grains, but they also have gluten. So it's that protein. It's not the actual grain. It's the protein in the grain that causes the immune response. And it's important to note that gluten, like many prebiotic fibers, is a resistant protein to digestion. So this protein gets partially digested in the intestine. Those partially digested peptides, those portions of that protein that are still in the, in the intestine, are what actually trigger the immune response. They also have a cascade of events that lead to the breakdown of tight junctions. So tight junctions are the things between those single cells of our intestine that keep the outside, the what's in our gut, from our bloodstream inside. So we, we need those tight junctions to be fun- functioning really, really well so that we aren't exposed to things outside. So then if we are exposed to things that are technically outside of our body and they get into our bloodstream, our body is going to see that as foreign, right? And then it mounts an immune response. So it's no wonder that this is part of the pathology of celiac disease. So when you have celiac disease and then you eat gluten, so you're when you have celiac disease and you don't eat gluten, you are in a quiescent state. You're not going to have this response. When you do eat gluten, you are going to get this heightened immune response. That immune response leads to inflammation. It leads to the loss or the atrophy of those finger-like projections that allow for absorption of nutrients. So then you have poor nutrient absorption. Of course, this all this inflammation causes really bad GI discomfort, stomach upset. Then you get light-colored, foul-smelling stools because of the poor nutrient absorption. People oftentimes get diarrhea. They could also have constipation. Then you see that they get bloating from all this inflammation, unexplained weight loss because they're not getting the nutrient value from their foods, also fatigue, which goes hand-in-hand with iron deficiency anemia, which is one of the vitamins that which is one of the minerals that doesn't have good absorption in celiac disease. And then there's also a lack of vitamin D and calcium absorption. So you can get bone loss or decreased bone density. People get joint pain. They can also get neuropathy or numbness in their limbs from a decrease in B12 absorption. Headaches are very common. Reproductive issues are very common. Um, then liver enzymes can be elevated, and it's also associated with other autoimmune diseases. And then I also have to mention that it's associated with skin issues too, several different kinds of skin issues, but the most common is dermatitis herpetiformis, which is a blistering skin condition of the extensor part, the backside of your arms. You need several factors to reach the diagnosis. And the gold standard, of course, is a small intestine biopsy, right? It's going to show that atrophy of the villi. And then you need a combination of that with high-sensitivity serologic testing, meaning they take your blood and they see if you have these antibodies to that that tissue transglutaminase. So there's the anti-tissue transglutaminase antibody, 
there's the anti-endomesial antibody, or there's an deaminated gliadin peptide antibody. And so these have been very, very cornerstone in the diagnosis of celiac disease. These are the things that your doctor will test if they suspect you have celiac disease. And then, of course, the genetic component is important too. And so when you talk about diagnosis, now, of course, the biopsy is important. It is part of the diagnosis. But sometimes the titers of these serologic tests are so high and the genetics are positive and all of the symptoms are there that the that sometimes they'll bypass that biopsy. So if you've been diagnosed with celiac disease and haven't had a biopsy, just probably know that you had really, really, really elevated titers and um, you know the diagnosis was made without that. One of the really difficult parts about diagnosing celiac disease is often patients will have already been off of gluten. They have realized that these products make them feel really terrible. And so they have weaned themselves off of gluten, right? They have given themselves the treatment for the disease, but in order to make the diagnosis, you had to have been consuming gluten. Because again, right, when you're not consuming gluten, the disease is quiescent. So you won't have an elevated um, titer of these antibodies. It won't be circulating in your system. And your, you know, your intestine may have had time to heal. So uh, you may just be able to see the genetics at that point. So a lot of times these patients won't want to be tested. They'll just avoid gluten. And that is the treatment. Treatment is str- a strict gluten-free diet. So if there's no trigger, you get no symptoms. However, if you have celiac disease and you mess with this and you try to bring gluten back into your life, know that there are risks, right? There are complications that happen with people who have this autoimmune condition and continue to eat gluten, even though it doesn't feel good. And they can get refractory celiac disease. They can get ulcers in their small intestine. Their splenic function or their spleen can go, can decrease dramatically. They can get adenocarcinoma, cancer of the small intestine, or even a lymphoma in the small intestine. And they have overall increased mortality um, over the general population. So just keep in mind that if you could be celiac disease. If you have a genetic component, and again, genetics are important, about 10 to 15% have familial recurrence and about 80% are in identical twins. So if you have somebody in your family who has celiac disease, you get triggered by gluten, but you're still eating it off and on, it is really a good idea to see a medical provider. And then the last thing I will say about celiac disease is we, I mentioned before, there's a trigger, an environmental trigger that causes the development of celiac disease. However, there's really no exact way to determine if there's a, some way that we can prevent it. It's probably multifactorial. A, a lot of times people will get this early in life. They will develop celiac disease early in life. It could be a viral thing. It's very hard to... Um, keep people from getting 
viral infections. Of course, our, you know, the gut microbiome is a big component of this. And our Western society is, it's swimming upstream to try and maintain a really robust gut microbiome, which I think we all should do and we should all focus on. But again, multifactorial, is there really any specific evidence to suggest there's a way to prevent celiac disease? The answer is no, not really. Maybe more information will come out about this in the future. Okay, moving on, I want to mention the next type of gluten intolerance, which isn't really specific to gluten. It's called a wheat allergy, and that's exactly what it is. It's a wheat allergy. Now, it could be an allergy to gluten, or it could be an allergy to some other antigen or peptide or protein in that grain. So it doesn't have to be gluten. It's just when you eat wheat, you get the symptoms of a allergy-mediated response, right? So things like hives, itchy, watery eyes, nasal congestion. You might get abdominal pain. Nausea, vomiting are kind of common with a wheat allergy. Um, Diarrhea can happen. And then really severe wheat allergies. You can get that anaphylaxis where you have really difficult, you have extreme difficulty breathing, right? Your throat closes down. You can get swelling of the lips and the tongue. And so this is something to be aware of, but know that that's a totally different kind of intolerance from celiac disease. It is not autoimmune. It's an allergy. Lastly, and I think most importantly, I have to discuss gluten sensitivity. This is a non-celiac gluten sensitivity, meaning that you don't have the autoimmune condition associated with gluten intolerance. And this can affect anywhere from about 0.5% to 13% of the population. Now, that span is wide, and that's probably a multitude of factors too, right? Maybe we're getting underreported, or maybe the diagnosis isn't just isn't made very clearly. And I'm going to go over why that might be. But really, this sensitivity is an inflammation in response to gluten consumption. And bloating is common, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, headaches, migraine, fatigue, just chronic pain from this inflammation, brain fog. And also this has been associated with Hashimoto's, the autoimmune thyroid condition that causes low thyroid hormone. And a lot of people have that. So what I want to say is a lot of these symptoms are either very vague, maybe very similar to celiac disease, or are already associated with a hypothyroidism. So it's very hard to be very specific that these symptoms are caused by a gluten sensitivity. And when we get rid of gluten in our diet, we tend to get rid of things that cause inflammation anyway. So if you think about the main sources of gluten in the Western diet, it's these ultra-processed wheat components, right? And our wheat grain is poorly sourced, right? A lot of it's been genetically modified, and then it's ultra-processed with other chemicals and emulsifiers. So what I want to say to you is, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Don't think that you can't eat healthy whole grains because you have a sensitivity when you eat things that contain gluten. You very well may be sensitive specifically to gluten. 
However, I think it's a lot more rare than what mainstream has given it credit for. And I see this a lot in my patients, especially the ones who say, okay, I can't have any of this stuff. I bloat. I'm fatigued. I have inflammation. I get joint pain. Yes, 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 I believe you. And then they'll go overseas to Europe and they'll have all the pasta that's made of a, you know, a durum wheat, but it isn't as refined or it hasn't been genetically modified. And in Europe, they actually ban GMOs. So I would say to you that it's probably more so the source of grain than it is the gluten. And I want to mention that because then we get on this kick where we start to eat gluten-free products. And gluten-free products aren't necessarily healthy because they're just something else that has been refined into some kind of flour in order to make a gluten-free product. But that isn't necessarily healthy, right? We should be focusing still on whole grain. Of course, the Lancet Global Burden of Disease Report stated that the number one dietary deficiency leading to all-cause and cardiovascular mortality was a lack of whole grains, right? So if we are then moving over to almond flours or things like this, and we're removing our whole grains because we think we have a gluten insensitivity, then we're missing the health-promoting part of the diet of whole that you know that whole grain that we need. And so I want to encourage you that if you think you might have a gluten sensitivity to try and really focus on whole grains that don't have gluten in them possibly or even try whole grains like wheat, barley and rye that haven't been genetically modified so pick organic sources, right? And that may have not been contaminated and that aren't ultra-processed with preservatives or chemicals or additives. And so things that don't have gluten in them are amaranth, arrowroot, buckwheat, corn, flax, millet, quinoa. Oats naturally are gluten-free, but in some cases, because they are more mainstream in our diets can be contaminated with wheat. So that's something to be aware of. Rice, brown rice, wild rice, those are great sources of whole grains. Sorghum. So these are all whole grains. If you definitely have a gluten sensitivity or if you're celiac disease, try gluten-free grains. If you think that you might just be sensitive to the ultra-processed things that cause inflammation, get those out of your diet and still steer towards whole grains. And if you can find good sources of wheat, try them and see if maybe it isn't the gluten. It's just the ultra-processed foods that are in our diet. Because of course, when you go gluten-free and get rid of some of these genetically modified things that cause inflammation, you're automatically going to feel better by getting some of these ultra-processed things out of your diet. So no doubt that it's helping for sure, but you don't want to miss that dietary component of whole grains. Okay, well, that's all I have for you today. I hope that this was a helpful episode. If you loved it, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, 
and leave us a five-star review. That is so helpful. I love all of you for listening. I love all your positive comments and encouragement. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will see you next week.